Part One of Gettysburg National Military Park, Pennsylvania. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Wales. Gettysburg National Military Park, Pennsylvania, by Frederick Tilburg. Part One. Introduction on the gently rolling farmland surrounding the little town of gettysburg pennsylvania was fought one of the great decisive battles of american history for three days from july one to three eighteen sixty three a gigantic struggle between seventy five thousand confederates and eighty eight thousand union troops raged about the town and left fifty one thousand casualties in its wake Heroic deeds were numerous on both sides, climaxed by the famed Confederate assault on July 3rd, which has become known throughout the world as Pickett's Charge. The Union victory gained on these fields ended the last Confederate invasion of the North and marked the beginning of a gradual decline in Southern military power. Here also, a few months after the battle, Abraham Lincoln delivered his classic Gettysburg Address at the dedication of the National Cemetery, set apart as a burial ground for the soldiers who died in the conflict. The Situation, Spring, 1863 The situation in which the Confederacy found itself in the late spring of 1863 called for decisive action. The Union and Confederate armies had faced each other on the Rappahannock River near Fredericksburg, Virginia, for six months, the confederate army of northern virginia commanded by general r e lee had defeated the union forces at fredericksburg in december eighteen sixty two and again at chancellorsville in may eighteen sixty three but the nature of the ground gave lee little opportunity to follow up his advantage when he began moving his army westward on june three he hoped at least to draw his opponent away from the river to a more advantageous battleground at most he might carry the war into northern territory where supplies could be taken from the enemy and a victory could be fully exploited even a fairly narrow margin of victory might enable lee to capture one or more key cities and perhaps increase northern demands for a negotiated peace confederate strategists had considered sending aid from lee's army to vicksburg which grant was then besieging or dispatching help to general bragg for his campaign against rosecrans in tennessee they concluded however that vicksburg could hold out until climatic conditions would force grant to withdraw and they reasoned that the eastern campaign was more important than that of tennessee both Union and Confederate governments had bitter opponents at home. Southern generals, reading in Northern newspapers the clamors for peace, had reason to believe that their foe's morale was fast weakening. They felt that the Army of Northern Virginia would continue to demonstrate its superiority over the Union Army of the Potomac, and that the relief from constant campaigning on their own soil would have a happy effect on southern spirit events were to prove however that the chief result of the intense alarm created by the invasion was to rally the populace to better support of the union government the plan of campaign 
lee's plan of campaign was undoubtedly similar to that of his invasion which ended in the battle of antietam in september eighteen sixty two he then called attention to the need of destroying the bridge over the susquehanna river at harrisburg and of disabling the pennsylvania railroad in order to sever communication with the west after that he added i can turn my attention to philadelphia baltimore or washington as may seem best for our interest lee had suffered an irreparable loss at chancellorsville when stonewall jackson was mortally wounded now reorganized into three infantry corps under longstreet a p hill and r s ewell and a cavalry division under j e b stuart a changed army of northern virginia faced the great test that lay ahead stonewall jackson the right hand of lee and in the words of the latter the finest executive officer the sun ever shone on was no longer present to lead his corps in battle the long lines of gray started moving on june three from fredericksburg virginia first northwestward across the blue ridge and then northward in the shenandoah valley on june nine one of the greatest cavalry engagements of the war occurred at brandy station union horsemen for the first time held stuart's men on even terms the confederates then continued their march northward with the right flank constantly protected by stuart's cavalry which occupied the passes of the blue ridge stuart was ordered to hold these mountain gaps until the advance into pennsylvania had drawn the union army north of the potomac on june twenty eighth hill and longstreet reached chambersburg sixteen miles north of the pennsylvania boundary rhodes division of ewell's corps reached carlisle on june twenty seven early's command of eight thousand men had passed through gettysburg on june twenty sixth and on the twenty eighth had reached york early planned to take possession of the bridge over the susquehanna at columbia and to move on harrisburg from the east lee's converging movement on harrisburg seemed to be on the eve of success an unforeseen shift of events between june twenty five and twenty eight however threatened to deprive lee of every advantage he had thus far gained in his daring march up the shenandoah and cumberland valleys the cavalry engagement between stuart and pleasanton at brandy station convinced general joseph hooker then in command of the union army that the confederate army was moving northward president lincoln and general-in-chief halleck informed of this movement ordered hooker to proceed northward and to keep his command between the confederate army and washington when he was refused permission to abandon harper's ferry and to add the garrison of ten thousand men to his army hooker asked to be relieved of command general george g meade received orders to assume command of the army at frederick maryland on june twenty eighth and he at once continued the march northward general stuart in command of the confederate cavalry had obtained conditional approval from lee to operate against the rear of the union army as it marched northward and then to join lee north of the potomac as he passed between hooker's army and washington the unexpected speed of the union army forced stuart into detours and delays so that on june twenty eighth he was in eastern maryland wholly out of touch with the confederate force 
the eyes and ears of lee were thus closed at a time when their efficient functioning was badly needed in this state of affairs a confederate agent reported to lee at chambersburg pennsylvania on the night of june twenty eighth that the union forces had crossed the potomac and were in the vicinity of frederick with the entire union army close at hand and with many miles between him and his base lee decided to abandon his original plan and to concentrate for battle he moved his army at once across the mountains to cashtown eight miles from gettysburg here in cashtown pass he planned to establish his battle position roads then at carlisle and early at york were at once ordered to this point end of part one part two of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part two the first day the two armies converge on gettysburg the men of heath's division leading the confederate advance across the mountain reached cashtown on june twenty nine pettigrew's brigade was sent on to gettysburg the following day to obtain supplies but upon reaching the ridge a mile west of the town they observed union cavalry scouts posted along the roads not having orders to bring on an engagement pettigrew withdrew to cashtown in the intervening two days since he had assumed command of the union forces general meade had moved his troops northward and instructed his engineers to survey a defensive battle position at pipe creek near taneytown in northern maryland buford's cavalry which had effectively shadowed lee's advance from the mountain tops of the blue ridge was ordered to make a reconnaissance in the gettysburg area it was these troops that pettigrew's men now posted on the roads leading into the town neither lee nor meade yet foresaw gettysburg as a field of battle each expected to take a strong defensive position and force his adversary to attack a p hill in the absence of lee who was still beyond the mountains now took the initiative at daybreak of july one he ordered the brigade of archer and davis of heath's division to advance along the chambersburg road to gettysburg for the purpose of testing the strength of the union forces as these troops reached marsh creek four miles from gettysburg they were fired upon by union cavalry pickets who hurriedly retired to inform their commander of the enemy's approach in the meantime buford's division of cavalry had moved from their camp just southwest of gettysburg to mcpherson ridge a mile west of the town buford prepared to hold out against heavy odds until aid arrived thus subordinate field commanders had chosen the ground for battle it was eight a m july one when the two brigades of archer and davis the former to the right and the latter to the left of the chambersburg road deployed on hare ridge supported by pegram's artillery they charged down the long slope and across willoughby run against buford's men the union troopers had recently received an issue of spencer repeating carbines dismounted and fighting as infantrymen they held their ground against the spirited attacks of heath's superior numbers 
at ten o'clock timely aid arrived as troops from general john f reynolds first infantry corps began streaming over seminary ridge from the south and relieved buford's exhausted fighters caliph's battery one of whose guns had fired the first shot at gettysburg was replaced by hall's main artillery but in a few moments union joy at receiving aid was offset by tragedy reynolds close to the front lines was killed instantly by a sharpshooter's bullet the struggle increased in scope as more forces reached the field when archer's confederates renewed the attack across willoughby run union troops of meredith's iron brigade arriving opportunely struck the flank of the confederates and captured the greater part of the force including general archer relieved from the threat south of the chambersburg pike the fourteenth brooklyn and seventh wisconsin regiments shifted to the north of the pike where the confederates had captured a part of cutler's troops in the railroad cut with renewed effort these troops joined by dawes sixth wisconsin drove the confederates steadily back capturing two mississippi regiments in the defile the confederates then withdrew beyond striking distance there was a lull in the fighting during the noon hour the first encounter had given union men confidence they had held their ground against superior numbers and had captured archer a brigadier general the first confederate general officer taken since lee assumed command the battle of oak ridge while the initial test of strength was being determined west of gettysburg by advance units the main bulk of the two armies was pounding over the roads from the north and south converging upon the ground chosen by buford rhodes confederates hurrying southward from carlisle to meet lee at cashtown received orders at biglerville to march to gettysburg early returning from york with cashtown as his objective learned at heidlersburg of the action at gettysburg and was ordered to approach by way of the harrisburg road employing the wooded ridge as a screen from union cavalry north of gettysburg rhodes brought his guns into position on oak ridge about one o'clock and opened fire on the flank of general abner doubleday reynolds successor on mcpherson ridge the union commander shifted his lines northeastward to oak ridge and the mumisburg road to meet the new attack rhodes confederates struck the union position at the stone wall on the ridge but the attack was not well coordinated and resulted in failure iverson's brigade was nearly annihilated as it made a left wheel to strike from the west in the meantime more union troops had arrived on the field by way of the taneytown road two divisions of howard's eleventh corps were now taking position in the plain north of the town intending to make contact with doubleday's troops on oak ridge dole's confederate brigade charged across the plain and was able to force howard's troops back temporarily but it was the opportune approach of early's division from the northeast on the harrisburg road which rendered the union position north of gettysburg indefensible arriving in the early afternoon as the union men were establishing their position early struck with tremendous force first with his artillery and then with his infantry against general barlow soon he had shattered the entire union force 
the remnants broke and turned southward through gettysburg in the direction of cemetery hill in this headlong and disorganized flight general schimmelfenning was lost from his command and finding refuge in a shed he lay two days concealed within the confederate lines in the path of early's onslaught lay the youthful brigadier barlow severely wounded and the gallant lieutenant bayard wilkeson whose battery had long stood against overwhelming odds mortally wounded the union men on oak ridge faced with the danger that doles would cut off their line of retreat gave way and retired through gettysburg to cemetery hill the withdrawal of the union troops from the north and northwest left the union position on mcpherson ridge untenable early in the afternoon when rhodes opened fire from oak hill heath had renewed his thrust along the chambersburg pike his troops were soon relieved and pender's division striking north and south of the road broke the union line the union troops first withdrew to seminary ridge then across the fields to cemetery hill here was advantageous ground which had been selected as a rallying point if the men were forced to relinquish the ground west and north of the town thus by five o'clock the remnants of the union forces some six thousand out of the eighteen thousand engaged in the first day's struggle were on the hills south of gettysburg ewell was now in possession of the town and he extended his line from the streets eastward to rock creek studiously observing the hills in his front he came within range of a union sharpshooter for suddenly he heard the thud of a minnie ball calmly riding on he remarked to general gordon at his side you see how much better fixed for a fight i am than you are it won't hurt at all to be shot in a wooden leg a momentous decision now had to be made lee had reached the field by three p m and had witnessed the retreat of the disorganized union troops through the streets of gettysburg through his glasses he had watched their attempt to re-establish their lines on cemetery hill sensing his advantage and a great opportunity he sent orders to ewell by a staff officer to press those people and secure the hill cemetery hill if possible however two of ewell's divisions those of rhodes and early had been heavily engaged throughout the afternoon and were not well in hand johnson's division could not reach the field until late in the evening and the reconnaissance service of stuart's cavalry was not yet available general ewell uninformed of the union strength in the rear of the hills south of gettysburg decided to await the arrival of johnson's division cemetery hill was not attacked and johnson coming up late in the evening stopped at the base of culp's hill thus passed lee's opportunity of july first when the union troops retreated from the battleground north and west of the town on the evening of july one they hastily occupied defense positions on cemetery hill culp's hill and a part of cemetery ridge upon the arrival of slocum by the baltimore pike and sickles by way of the emmitsburg road the union right flank at culp's hill and spangler's spring and the important position at little round top on the left were consolidated 
thus was developed a strong defensive battle line in the shape of a fish hook about three miles long with the advantage of high ground and of interior lines opposite in a semicircle about six miles long extending down seminary ridge and into the streets of gettysburg stood the confederates who during the night had closed in from the north and west the greater part of the citizenry of gettysburg despite the prospect of battle in their own yards chose to remain in their homes both army commanders respected non-combatant rights to a marked degree thus in contrast with the fields of carnage all about the village life and property of the civilian population remained unharmed while the doors of churches schools and homes were opened for the care of the wounded general meade at taney town had learned early in the afternoon of july one that a battle was developing and that reynolds had been killed a large part of his army was within five miles of gettysburg meade then sent general hancock to study and report on the situation hancock reached the field just as the union troops were falling back to cemetery hill he helped to rally the troops and left at six o'clock to report to meade that in his opinion the battle should be fought at gettysburg meade acted on this recommendation and immediately ordered the concentration of the union forces at that place meade himself arrived near midnight on july one end of part two part three of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part three the second day preliminary movements and plans the small college town of gettysburg with twenty four hundred residents at the time of the battle lay in the heart of a fertile country surrounded by broad acres of crops and pastures substantial houses of industrious pennsylvania farmers dotted the countryside south of the town and hardly more than a musket shot from the houses on the outer edge cemetery hill rose somewhat abruptly from the lower ground extending southward from the hill for nearly two miles was a long roll of land called cemetery ridge at its southern extremity a sharp incline terminated in the wooded crest of little round top and a half mile beyond was the sugar-loaf peak of big round top the highest point in the vicinity of gettysburg paralleling cemetery ridge at an average distance of two-thirds of a mile to the west lay seminary ridge which derived its name from the lutheran seminary that stood upon its crest a half mile west of gettysburg in eighteen sixty three ten roads radiated from gettysburg the one leading to emmitsburg extending diagonally across the valley between seminary and cemetery ridges by noon of july two the powerful forces of meade and lee were at hand and a battle on a tremendous scale was imminent that part of the union line extending from cemetery hill to little round top was strongly held late in the afternoon sickles commanding the third corps which lay north of little round top sent burdened sharpshooters and some of the men of the third main regiment forward from the emmitsburg road to pitzer's woods a half mile to the west 
as they reached the woods a strong confederate force fired upon them and they hurriedly retired to inform their commander to sickles the extension of the confederate line southward meant that his left flank was endangered he at once began moving forward to the advantageous high ground at the peach orchard and by three thirty p m his battle front extended from devil's den northwestward to the orchard and northward on the emmisburg road in this forward movement the strong position on the crest of little round top was left unoccupied this was the situation when meade finally turned his attention from his right flank at culp's hill and spangler's spring the cause of his great concern throughout the forenoon to review sickler's line lee planned to attack despite the advice of longstreet who continually urged defensive battle on july two longstreet recommended that lee swing around the union left at little round top select a good position and await attack lee observed that while the union position was strong if held in sufficient numbers to utilize the advantage of interior lines it presented grave difficulties to a weak defending force a secure lodgment on the shank of the hook might render it possible to sever the union army and to deal with each unit separately not all of meade's force had reached the field and lee thought he had the opportunity of destroying his adversary in the process of concentration he resolved to send longstreet against the federal left flank which he believed was then on lower cemetery ridge while ewell was to storm cemetery hill and culp's hill longstreet attacks on the right in the execution of this plan longstreet was ordered to take position across the emmisburg road and to attack what was thought to be the left flank of the union line on cemetery ridge from his encampment on the chambersburg road three miles west of gettysburg he started toward his objective using hare ridge to conceal the movement from union signalmen on little round top after marching to black horse tavern on the fairfield road he realized that his troops were in sight of the signal unit and at once began retracing his course employing the trees on seminary ridge as a screen he marched southward again in willoughby run valley arriving in position on the emmitsburg road about three thirty p m immediately in front and only seven hundred yards away longstreet saw sickles batteries lined up in the peach orchard and on the emmitsburg road colonel e p alexander commanding a battalion of longstreet's artillery opened with full force against the union guns longstreet could observe in the distance that little round top was unoccupied law's alabama troops were directed at once to take the hill and robertson's texans were instructed to join in the charge warren saves little round top general g k warren meade's chief of engineers having assisted sickles in placing his line now rode to the crest of little round top and found the hill the key to the union position unoccupied except by a signal station warren was informed by the signalmen that they believed confederate troops lay concealed on the wooded ridge a mile to the west smith's new york battery emplaced at devil's den 
immediately was ordered to fire a shot into these woods the missile crashing through the trees caused a sudden stir of the confederates which by the gleam of the reflected sunlight on their bayonets revealed their long lines outflanking the position warren realized longstreet would strike first at little round top and he observed too the difficulty of shifting sickles position from devil's den to the hill at this moment warren noticed the approach of union troops from the north and rode to meet them they were vincent's and weed's brigades leading sykes corps from reserve position to the front intercepting these troops warren rushed them to little round top law's alabama troops were starting to scale the south slope of the hill when vincent's men rushed to the attack weed's brigade following closely drove over the crest and engaged robertson's texans on the west slope the arrival of hazlitt's battery on the summit of the hill is thus described by an eyewitness the passage of the six guns through the roadless woods and amongst the rocks was marvellous under ordinary circumstances it would have been considered an impossible feat but the eagerness of the men brought them without delay to the very summit where they went immediately into battle a desperate hand-to-hand -hand struggle ensued weed and hazlitt were killed and vincent was mortally wounded all young soldiers of great promise the struggle at little round top now became stalemated and longstreet directed his entire line to attack the confederate drive was taken up in turn by the brigades of benning anderson kershaw semmes barksdale wolford wilcox perry and wright against the divisions of burney and humphreys in the wheat field the peach orchard and along the emmisburg road four hours of desperate fighting broke the peach orchard salient an angle in the union line which was struck from the south and the west it left the wheat field strewn with dead and wounded and the base of little round top a shambles sickles men had been driven back and longstreet was now in possession of the west slope of big round top of devil's den and the peach orchard little round top that commanding landmark from which longstreet had hoped to shell the union lines on cemetery ridge and cemetery hill still remained in union possession culp's hill in the confederate plan ewell on the left was directed to attack cemetery hill and culp's hill in conjunction with longstreet's drive at the appointed time the guns of latimer's battalion on benner's hill east of gettysburg opened a well-directed fire against the union positions on east cemetery hill and culp's hill but the return fire soon shattered many of latimer's batteries and forced the remnants to retire out of range in the final moments of this action the youthful major latimer was mortally wounded about dusk long after the artillery fire had ceased early's infantry started a charge toward east cemetery hill seldom if ever surpassed in its dash and desperation early's assault reached the crest of the hill where the defenders as a last resort in the hand-to-hand -hand encounter used clubbed muskets stones and rammers long after dark the louisiana tigers and their comrades in possession of the crest of the hill fought to hold their gain and their captured guns 
the failure of rhodes to move out of the streets of gettysburg and to attack the hill from the west enabled hancock to shift some of his men to aid in repelling early's attacks faced by these union reserves early's men finally gave way about ten o'clock and sullenly retired to their lines the union troops stood firm closely timed with early's assault of east cemetery hill johnson's division charged the union works on culp's hill failing to make headway because of the steep incline and the strength of the union positions johnson fell back across rock creek and started an attack on the southern slope of the hill here the union works were thinly manned an hour earlier the divisions of geary and rugger had been called from those works to the aid of the sickles line at the peach orchard johnson finding the works weakly defended took possession of them but did not press the attack farther only a few hundred yards away on the baltimore pike lay the union supply trains the failure of confederate reconnaissance here again was critically important thus passed another opportunity to strike a hard blow at the union army end of part three part four of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part four the third day cannonade at dawn culp's hill and spangler spring night brought an end to the bloody combat at east cemetery hill but this was not the time for rest what would meade do would the union army remain in its established position and hold its lines at all costs at midnight meade sought the advice of his council of war in the east room of his headquarters the corps commanders gibbon williams sykes newton howard hancock sedgwick and slocum without exception advised holding the position established meade approving turned to the officer whose division held the union center and said gibbon if lee attacks me to-morrow it will be on your front meade on the following morning began to fortify cemetery ridge by shifting all units that could be spared from the line at culp's hill and those in reserve at the round tops and on cemetery hill general hunt chief of artillery brought up reserve batteries to hold in readiness for replacement of front-line guns throughout the forenoon of the third day meade not only developed a strong front at the stone walls on the crest of the ridge but he also strengthened his reserve power to an extent which rendered the union center almost impregnable meanwhile important movements were occurring elsewhere on the field ruger's division and lockwood's brigade which had been called from their lines on the south slope of culp's hill the previous evening to help defend sickles position at the peach orchard were now countermarching under cover of darkness to reoccupy their ground geary who had misunderstood orders and had marched down the baltimore pike was also returning to his works ruger's men upon reaching the pike learned from scouts that their entrenchments south of culp's hill and at spangler's spring had been occupied by the confederates ruger resolving upon an attack at daybreak organized his forces along the pike powerful artillery units under muhlenberg were brought into place along the road 
Rigby's Maryland Battery was stationed on Powers Hill, a prominent knoll a half-mile to the south, and another battery was emplaced on McAllister Hill. As dawn broke on July 3, Union guns on the Baltimore Pike opened with a heavy cannonade on Johnson's Confederates at Spangler Spring. The heavy wooded area about the Confederate lines prevented them from bringing guns into position to return the fire. Union skirmishers began streaming across the field toward the Confederate entrenchments. The full force of Ruger's and Gary's brigades followed closely. Throughout the forenoon, the Union troops struck again and again. It was about ten o'clock that Ruger, believing that a flank attack might break the resistance of Johnson's men, ordered Colonel Silas Colgrove to strike the Confederate left flank near the spring. The troops of the 2nd Massachusetts and the 19th Indiana regiments started across the swale from the cover of the woods on the little hill south of the spring. A withering fire slowed their pace, but they charged on, only to have their ranks decimated by the Confederates in strong positions back of a stone wall. Colonel Mudge, inspiring leader of the Massachusetts Regiment, fell mortally wounded. Forced to fall back, the men soon learned their efforts had not been in vain. On Ruger and Geary's front, the Confederates were now giving way, and soon had retired across Rock Creek, out of striking range. By eleven o'clock, the Union troops were again in possession of their earthworks. Again, they could quench their thirst in the cooling waters of the spring. Lee plans a final thrust. General Lee must have learned by mid-forenoon, after the long hours of struggle at Culp's Hill and Spangler Spring, that his troops could not hold the Union works which they had occupied with so little effort the previous evening. He had seen also that in the tremendous battling during the preceding afternoon no important gains had been made at Little Round Top and its vicinity longstreet had engaged the advantageous ridge at the peach orchard and had brought his batteries forward from pitzer's woods to this high ground in preparation for a follow-up attack wright's brigade the last unit to move forward on july two in the echelon attack begun by general law had charged across the open fields at dusk and pierced the union center just south of the copse of trees on cemetery ridge Wright's success could not be pressed to decisive advantage, as the brigades on his left had not moved forward to his support, and he was forced to retire. Again, lack of coordination in attack was to count heavily against the Confederates. The failure to make any pronounced headway on July 2 at Culp's Hill and Little Round Top, and the momentary success of Wright on Cemetery Ridge, doubtless led lee to believe that meade's flanks were strong and his center weak a powerful drive at the center might pierce the enemy's lines and fold them back the shattered units might then be destroyed or captured at will such a charge across open fields and in the face of frontal and flank fire would lee well understood be a gamble seldom undertaken longstreet strongly voiced his objection to such a move insisting that no fifteen thousand men ever arrayed for battle can take that position time now was the important element whatever could be done must be done quickly 
hood's and mcclaw's divisions who had fought bravely and lost heavily at round top and the wheat field were not in condition for another severe test early and johnson on the left had likewise endured long unrelenting battle with powerful union forces in positions of advantage the men of heath's and pender's divisions had not been heavily engaged since the first day's encounter west of gettysburg these were the men along with pickett's division whom lee would have to count on to bear the brunt of his final great effort at gettysburg lee and meade set the stage late in the afternoon of july three general meade had completed his plan of defence in rear of the union centre by the concentration of all available infantry units general hunt sensing the danger placed a solid line of batteries in position on the crest of the bridge and brought others to the rear for emergency use as a final act of preparation meade inspected his front at the stone wall then rode southward to little round top here with general warren he could see the long lines of confederate batteries and the massing of troops a sure indication of attack meade rode back to his headquarters lee on his part had observed in the forenoon the enemy in the process of concentration on cemetery ridge having reached his decision to strike the union centre he had already begun the movement of batteries from the rear to points of advantage by noon a hundred and thirty-eight guns were in line from the peach orchard northward to the seminary buildings many of them only eight hundred yards from the union centre to colonel alexander fell the lot of directing the artillery fire and informing the infantry of the best opportunity to advance massed to the west of emmitsburg road on low ground which screened their position from the union lines lay general george pickett's three brigades commanded by kemper armstead and garnet pickett's men had arrived the previous evening from chambersburg where they had guarded lee's wagons on july one and two as the only fresh body of troops on the field they were now to spearhead the charge on pickett's left the attacking front was fast being organized joseph pettigrew a brigadier was preparing to lead the division of the wounded major-general heath and major-general isaac trimble took the command of pender more than ten thousand troops of these two divisions including such units as the twenty sixth north carolina whose losses on the first day were so heavy that the dead marked their advance with accuracy of a line at a dress parade now awaited the order to attack many hours earlier the bliss farm buildings which lay in their front had been burned their objective on the ridge was in clear view the brigades of wilcox and lang were to move forward on the right of pickett in order to protect his flank as he neared the enemy position general stuart in the meantime had been out of touch with lee moving northward on the right flank of the union army he became involved in a sharp engagement at hanover pennsylvania on june thirty seeking to regain contact with lee he arrived at carlisle on the evening of july one as he began shelling the barracks orders arrived from lee and he at once marched for gettysburg arriving north of the town the next day 
lee now decided to employ his cavalry to cut off union retreat which might result from a successful attack on the center stuart was instructed to swing eastward and then south around gettysburg the morning of july three in order to arrive in the rear of the union lines at the time pickett was expected to charge the center except for the intermittent sniping of sharpshooters an ominous silence prevailed over the fields the orders had now been given the objective had been pointed out men talked of casual things some munched on hard bread others looked fearfully to the eastward where with the same mixed feelings lay their adversary far to the south on another crucial front general pemberton was penning a letter to general grant asking terms for the surrender of vicksburg in richmond the sick and anxious jefferson davis looked hopefully for heartening word from his great field commander at gettysburg the outcome of this bold venture would count heavily in the balance for the cause of the confederacy artillery duel at one o'clock at one o'clock two guns of miller's battery posted near the peach orchard opened fire in rapid succession it was the signal for the entire line to let loose their terrific blast gunners rushed to their cannon and in a few moments the massed batteries shook the countryside firing in salvos and in succession the air was soon filled with smoke and heavy dust which darkened the sky union gunners on cemetery ridge waited a few minutes until the position of the confederate batteries were located then eighty guns placed at close order opened fire for nearly two hours the duel continued then that union fire slackened hunt had ordered a partial secession in order to cool the guns and to replace broken carriages colonel alexander in position on the emmitsburg road near the peach orchard could observe the effectiveness of his fire on the union lines and also keep the confederate troops in view to him it appeared that union artillery fire was weakening his own supply of ammunition was running low believing this was the time to attack alexander sent a message to pickett who in turn rode over to longstreet general longstreet who had persistently opposed lee's plan of sending fifteen thousand men across the open ground was now faced with a final decision longstreet merely nodded approval and pickett saluted saying i am going to move forward sir he rode back to his men and ordered the advance with kemper on the right and garnet on the left and armistead a few yards to the rear the division marched out in brigade front first northeastward into the open fields then eastward toward the union lines as pickett's men came into view near the woods pettigrew and trimble gave the order to advance the troops of the carolinas tennessee and mississippi comprising the brigades of mayo davis marshall and fry in front followed closely by lane and lawrence now moved out to attack a gap of half a mile between pickett's left and pettigrew's right would be closed as the advance progressed the units were to converge as they approached the union lines so that the final stage of the charge would present a solid front climax at gettysburg billows of smoke lay ahead of the union men at the stone wall momentarily obscuring the enemy but trained observers on little round top far to the south 
could see in the rear of this curtain of smoke the waves of confederate starting forward pickett finding his brigades drifting southeastward ordered them to bear to the left and the men turned toward the copse of trees kemper was now approaching on the south of the coterie buildings garnet and amistead were on the north halted momentarily at the emmitsburg road to remove fence rails pickett's troops with pettigrew on the left renewed the advance pickett had anticipated frontal fire of artillery and infantry from the strong union positions at the stone walls on the ridge but now an unforeseen attack developed union guns as far south as little round top along with batteries on cemetery hill relieved from confederate fire at the seminary buildings opened on the right and left flanks as pickett's men drove toward the union works at the angle stannard's vermont troops executing a right turn movement from their position south of the copse fired into the flank of the charging confederates the advancing lines crumbled reformed and again pressed ahead under terrific fire from the union batteries a hundred yards from the stone wall in the tall grass they encountered union skirmishers who fired and hastily withdrew but all along the wall the union infantry opened with volley after volley into the depleted ranks of garnet and fry armistead closed in and with lane and lawrence joining him made a last concerted drive at this close range double canister and concentrated infantry fire cut wide gaps in the attacking front garnet was mortally wounded kempfer was down his lines falling away on the right and left armistead reached the low stone fence in a final surge he crossed the wall with a hundred and fifty men and with his cap on his sword shouted follow me at the peak of the charge he fell mortally wounded from the ridge union forces rushed forward and hall's michigan regiments let loose a blast of musketry the gray column was surrounded the tide of the confederacy had swept to its crest paused and receded two of the divisions in the charge were reduced to mere fragments in front of the union line twenty fallen battle flags lay in a space of one hundred yards square singly and in little clumps the remnants of the gray columns that had made the magnificent charge of a few minutes earlier now sullenly retreated across the fields toward the confederate lines lee who had watched anxiously from spangler's woods now rode out to meet his men all this has been my fault he said to general wilcox who had brought off his command after heavy losses it is i that have lost this fight and you must help me out of it in the best way you can and again that night in a moment of contemplation he remarked to a comrade too bad too bad oh too bad cavalry action as the strength of lee's mighty effort at the angle was ebbing and the scattered remnants of the charge were seeking shelter action of a different kind was taking place on another field not far distant early in the afternoon stuart's cavalry was making its way down the valley of cress run three miles east of gettysburg the brigades of hampton and fitzhugh lee at the center of the line of march momentarily lost the trail and came out into open ground at the north end of rummel's woods stuart soon learning of the mistake attempted to bring them into line and to proceed southward 
but at this point general d m gregg's union cavalry in position along the hanover road a mile southeast saw the confederates gregg prepared at once to attack and stuart had no choice but to fight on this ground as the two forces moved closer dismounted men opened a brisk fire supported by the accurate shelling of artillerists then came the initial cavalry charge and countercharge the confederate jenkins was forced to withdraw when his small supply of ammunition became exhausted hampton fitzhugh lee and chambliss charged again and again only to be met with the equally spirited counterattack of mcintosh custer's michigan regiments closed in on a flank movement against the right of the charging confederate troops and miller's squadron of the third pennsylvania disobeying orders to hold its position struck opportunely on the confederate left the thrusts of the union horsemen so well coordinated stopped the onslaught of stuart's troopers after three hours of driving assaults the confederates left the field and retired to the north of gettysburg the union horsemen holding their ground had successfully cut off the prospect of confederate cavalry aid in the rear of the union lines on cemetery ridge end of invasion lee as he looked over the desolate field of dead and wounded and the broken remnants of his once powerful army still ready for renewed battle must have realized that not only was gettysburg lost but that eventually it might all end this way meade did not counter-attack as expected the following day july four the two armies lay facing each other exhausted and torn late on the afternoon of july four lee began an orderly retreat the wagon train of wounded seventeen miles in length guarded by imboden's cavalry started homeward through greenwood and greencastle at night the able-bodied men marched over the hagerstown road by way of monterey pass to the potomac roads had become nearly impassable from the heavy rains that day so well did stuart cover the retreat that the army reached the potomac with comparatively little loss meade realizing that the confederate army was actually retreating and not retiring to the mountain passes sent his cavalry and sedgwick's corps of infantry in pursuit and ordered the mountain passes west of frederick covered lee having the advantage of the more direct route to the potomac reached the river several days ahead of his pursuers but heavy rains had swollen the current and he could not cross meade arrived on the night of july twelve and prepared for a general attack on the following night however the river receded and lee crossed safely into virginia the confederate army meade's critics said had been permitted to slip from the union grasp end of part four part five of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this librivox recording is in the public domain part five lincoln and gettysburg establishment of a burial ground for the residents of gettysburg the aftermath of battle was almost as trying as the three days of struggle that had swirled about them 
the town's twenty-four hundred inhabitants and the nearby country folk bore a heavy share of the burden of caring for the twenty-one thousand wounded and dying of both sides who were left behind when the armies moved on spacious rooms in churches and schools and hundreds of homes were turned over to the care of the wounded and kindly folk from neighboring towns came to help those of gettysburg in ministering to the needs of the maimed and shattered men adequate attention to the wounded was an immediate necessity but fully as urgent was the need of caring for the dead nearly six thousand had been killed in action and hundreds died each day from mortal wounds in the earlier stages of the battle soldiers of both armies performed the tasks of burying their fallen comrades but the struggle had reached such large proportions and the scenes of battle had so shifted that fallen men had come within enemy lines because of the emergencies of battle therefore hundreds of bodies had been left unburied or only partially covered it was evident that the limited aid which could be offered by local authorities must be supported by a well-organized plan for disinterment of the dead from the temporary burial grounds on the field and reburial in a permanent place at gettysburg or in home cemeteries a few days after the battle the governor of the commonwealth hon andrew curtin visited the battlefield to offer assistance in caring for the wounded when official duties required his return to harrisburg he appointed attorney david wills of gettysburg to act as his special agent at the time of his visit the governor was especially distressed by the condition of the dead in response to the governor's desire that the remains be brought together in a place set aside for the purpose mr wills selected land on the northern slope of cemetery hill and suggested that the state of pennsylvania purchase the ground at once in order that interments could begin without delay he proposed that contributions for the purpose of laying out and landscaping the grounds be asked from legislatures of the states whose soldiers had taken part in the battle within six weeks mr wills had purchased seventeen acres of ground on cemetery hill and engaged william saunders an eminent landscape gardener to lay out the grounds in state lots apportioned in size to the number of graves for the fallen of each state each of the union states represented in the battle made contributions for planning and landscaping the reinterment of three thousand five hundred and twelve bodies in the cemetery was accomplished only after many months great care had been taken to identify the bodies on the field and at the time of reinterment remains were readily identified by marked boards which had been placed in the field grave or by items found on the bodies even so the names of one thousand six hundred and sixty four remained unknown nine hundred and seventy nine of whom were without identification either by name or by state within a year appropriations from the states made possible the enclosure of the cemetery with a massive stone wall and an iron fence on the baltimore street front imposing gateways of iron headstones for the graves and a keeper's lodge since the original burials the total of civil war interments has reached three thousand seven hundred and six including those of later wars the total number now is four thousand 
399 the removal of confederate dead from the field burial plots was not undertaken until seven years after the battle during the years eighteen seventy to seventy three upon the initiative of the ladies memorial association of richmond raleigh savannah and charleston three thousand three hundred and twenty bodies were disinterred and sent to cemeteries in those cities for reburial two thousand nine hundred and thirty five being interred in hollywood cemetery richmond seventy three bodies were reburied in home cemeteries the commonwealth of pennsylvania incorporated the cemetery in january eighteen sixty four the cemetery having been completed and the care of it by commissioners from so many states being burdensome and expensive the board of commissioners authorized by act of the general assembly of pennsylvania in eighteen sixty eight recommended the transfer of the cemetery to the federal government the secretary of war accepted title to the cemetery for the united states government on may first eighteen seventy two dedication of the cemetery having agreed upon a plan for the cemetery the commissioners believed it advisable to consecrate the grounds with appropriate ceremonies mr wills representing the governor of pennsylvania was selected to make proper arrangements for the event with the approval of the governors of the several states he wrote to hon edward everett of massachusetts inviting him to deliver the oration on the occasion and suggested october twenty three eighteen sixty three as the date for the ceremony mr everett stated in reply that the invitation was a great compliment but that because of the time necessary for the preparation of the oration he could not accept a date earlier than november nineteen this was the date agreed upon edward everett was the outstanding orator of his day he had been a prominent boston minister and later a university professor a cultured scholar he had delivered orations on many notable occasions in a distinguished career he became successively president of harvard governor of massachusetts united states senator minister to england and secretary of state the gettysburg cemetery at the time of the dedication was not under the authority of the federal government it had not occurred to those in charge therefore that the president of the united states might desire to attend the ceremony when formally printed invitations were sent to a rather extended list of national figures including the president the acceptance from mr lincoln came as a surprise mr wills was thereupon instructed to request the president to take part in the program and on november two a personal invitation was addressed to him throngs filled the town on the evening of november eighteen the special train from washington bearing the president arrived in gettysburg at dusk mr lincoln was escorted to the spacious home of mr wills on center square some time later in the evening the president was serenaded and at a late hour he retired at ten o'clock on the following morning the appointed time for the procession to begin mr lincoln was ready the various units of the long procession marshalled by ward layman began moving on baltimore street the president riding horseback the elaborate order of march also included cabinet officials judges of the supreme court high military officers 
governors commissioners the vice-president the speaker of the house of representatives members of congress and many local groups difficulty in getting the procession under way and the tardy return of mr everett from his drive over the battleground accounted for a delay of an hour in the proceedings at high noon with hundreds scurrying about for points of vantage the ceremonies were begun with the playing of a dirge by one of the bands as the audience stood uncovered a prayer was offered by the rev thomas h stockton chaplain of the house of representatives old hundred was played by the marine band then mr everett arose and stood a moment in silence regarding the battlefield and the distant beauty of the south mountain range for nearly two hours he reviewed the funeral customs of athens spoke of the purposes of war presented a detailed account of the three days battle offered tribute to those who died on the battlefield and reminded his audience of the bonds which are common to all americans upon the conclusion of his address a hymn was sung then the president arose and spoke his immortal words fourscore and seven years ago our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal now we are engaged in a great civil war testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure we are met on a great battlefield of that war we have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live it is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this but in a larger sense we cannot dedicate we cannot consecrate we cannot hallow this ground the brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract the world will little note nor long remember what we say here but it can never forget what they did here it is for us the living rather to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced it is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us that from these honoured dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain that this nation under god shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of the people by the people for the people shall not perish from the earth a hymn was then sung and rev h l bower pronounced the benediction genesis of the gettysburg address the theme of the gettysburg address was not entirely new must a government of necessity be too strong for the liberties of its people lincoln had once asked or too weak to maintain its own existence speaking of war aims he said we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth when he referred at gettysburg to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus far so nobly advanced he had in mind the high purpose of the preservation of the union and the welfare of all the people 
more than a year after gettysburg lincoln in his second inaugural address uttered words which might very well be considered a companion sentiment to those expressed at gettysburg with malice toward none with charity for all with firmness in the right as god gives us to see the right this profession of faith came from the heart of a man of humility who sought then as he did throughout the war to assuage suffering and anxiety everywhere rather than accept the address as a few brief notes hastily prepared on the route to gettysburg an assumption which has long gained much public acceptance it should be regarded as a pronouncement of the high purpose dominant in lincoln's thinking throughout the war habitually cautious of words in public address spoken or written it is not likely that the president on such an occasion failed to give careful thought to the words which he would speak after receiving the belated invitation on november two he yet had ample time to prepare for the occasion and the well-known correspondent noah brooks stated that several days before the dedication lincoln told him in washington that his address would be short 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 and that it was written but not finished the five autograph copies of the gettysburg address even after his arrival at gettysburg the president continued to put finishing touches to his address the first page of the original text was written in ink on a sheet of executive mansion paper the second page either written or revised at the will's residence was in pencil on a sheet of fool's cap and according to lincoln's secretary nicolay the few words changed in pencil at the bottom of the first page were added while in gettysburg the second draft of the address was written in gettysburg probably on the morning of its delivery as it contains certain phrases that are not in the first draft but are in the reports of the address as delivered and in subsequent copies made by lincoln it is probable as stated in the explanatory note accompanying the original copies of the first and second drafts in the library of congress that it was the second draft which lincoln held in his hand when he delivered the address quite opposite to lincoln's feeling expressed soon after the delivery of the address that it would not scour the president lived long enough to think better of it himself and to see it widely accepted as a masterpiece early in eighteen sixty four mr everett requested him to join in presenting manuscripts of the two addresses given at gettysburg to be bound in a volume and sold for the benefit of stricken soldiers at a sanitary commission fair in new york the draft lincoln sent became the third autograph copy known as the everett keys copy and it is now in the possession of the illinois state historical library george bancroft requested a copy in april eighteen sixty four to be included in autograph leaves of our country's authors this volume was to be sold at a soldiers and sailors sanitary fair in baltimore as this fourth copy was written on both sides of the paper it proved unusable for this purpose and mr bancroft was allowed to keep it this autograph draft is known as the bancroft copy as it remained in that family for many years it has recently been presented to the cornell university library finding that the copy written for autograph leaves could not be used mr lincoln wrote another a fifth draft 
which was accepted for the purpose requested. It is the only draft to which he affixed his signature. In all probability, it was the last copy written by Lincoln, and because of the apparent care in its preparation, it has become the standard version of the address. The final draft, which long remained in the hands of the family of Colonel Alexander Bliss, publisher of Autograph Leaves, is known as the Bliss Copy. It was purchased in 1949 by Oscar P. Sentis of Havana, Cuba. Soldiers National Monument as a fitting memorial to the Union dead who fell at Gettysburg, the commissioners arranged for the erection of a monument in the center of the semicircular plot of graves. A design submitted by J. G. Batterson was accepted, and the services of Randolph Rogers, a distinguished American sculptor, were secured for the execution of the monument. Projecting from the four angles of the gray granite shaft, are allegorical statues in white marble representing war history peace and plenty surmounting the shaft is a white marble statue representing the genius of liberty known as the soldiers national monument the cornerstone was laid july four eighteen sixty five and the monument dedicated july one eighteen sixty nine the lincoln address memorial the few appropriate remarks of Lincoln at Gettysburg came to be accepted with the passing of years, not only as a fine expression of the purposes for which the war was fought, but as a masterpiece of literature. An effort to have the words of the martyr president commemorated on this battlefield culminated with the inclusion in the act approved February 12, 1895, which established Gettysburg National Military Park, of a provision for the erection of such a memorial pursuant to this authority the park commission erected the lincoln address memorial in january nineteen twelve near the west gate of the national cemetery end of part five part six of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 6. Guide Tour of the Park. See map on page 52. The self-guide tour of the park begins on McPherson Ridge, a mile west of Gettysburg. Upon arrival in Gettysburg, the visitor should first locate Center Square, then drive a mile westward on U.S. number 30 to the statue of Generals Reynolds and Buford. Stop 1. McPherson Ridge please face westward with the statue of reynolds on your right the battle of gettysburg began on this ridge at eight a m july one eighteen sixty three the confederate army approaching along the chambersburg pike formed line of battle on the ridge one half mile westward where you see the brick house hare tavern they first attacked the union cavalry on this ridge then infantry on the ridge two hundred yards to your rear in the afternoon the confederates renewed their drive from the west along the pike and also struck the union right flank oak hill number two on tour map the union forces finally gave way retreating first to the seminary buildings and then to cemetery hill south of gettysburg general reynolds commanding a union corps was killed in the woods a quarter of a mile southeast of this point 
buford whose statue is just in front of you commanded the union cavalry on this ridge the marked gun at the base of the buford statue fired the first cannon shot at gettysburg oak ridge lies one half mile back of you and the same wooded ridge extending south of the chambersburg pike is seminary ridge general lee the confederate commander used the valley beyond the south mountains to the west as an avenue of approach into pennsylvania stop two oak hill please face southward with a peace memorial to your rear the battle of gettysburg which began at eight a m on the two ridges a mile south of here halted at noon and the confederates withdrew at one o'clock a strong confederate force arrived from the north on this hill and fired into the flank of the union men on the ridges to the south faced with this powerful fire and with renewed attack from the west part of the union forces were shifted to oak ridge see monuments on the ridge to your left to meet the attack from this direction union troops on the plain east of this ridge were soon forced by another strong confederate charge to retreat headlong through the streets of gettysburg opening the union line on oak ridge to flank and rear attack by mid-afternoon the union position on oak ridge was abandoned and the confederates pursued the retreating union troops through gettysburg halting in the western part of the town the gap in the south mountains to your right is cashtown pass where lee's army crossed the range stop three oak ridge please face eastward toward the monuments on the plain when rhodes confederate troops reached oak hill at one o'clock union troops on mcpherson ridge as well as reserves were shifted hurriedly to this ground the union troops posted back of the stone wall faced the confederate charge from the west and north tenaciously holding this ground through repeated confederate attacks the union men were finally forced to give way howard's union corps had arrived earlier in the plain north of gettysburg see monuments to the east but his command was soon shattered by a confederate force arriving from the northeast on the harrisburg road near flagpole a mile eastward as the union troops north of gettysburg retreated the men on this ridge became isolated and withdrew to cemetery hill south of the town the large white building on this side of gettysburg is old dorm at gettysburg college used as a hospital during the battle beyond the town is culp's hill see the observation tower and in the right backgrounds is cemetery hill stop four seminary ridge north carolina monument general lee had failed to achieve any definite games july second against the union left flank at little round top and the peach orchard or the right flank at spangler spring and culp hill he therefore marshaled his forces on the forenoon of july three for a final thrust against the center of the union line on cemetery ridge for nearly two hours a hundred and thirty-eight confederate guns on this ridge directed a heavy fire at the union positions lee then sent fifteen thousand men across the open ground with the copse of trees number eight on the tour map as their objective 
spearheaded by pickett's division and therefore known as pickett's charge this famous attack failed to break the strong union positions at the stone wall the advance marked the end of battle and the failure has been called the high-water mark of the confederacy lee gave up hope of further attack on this field and on the following day began his retreat toward the potomac and virginia the wooded knoll to the east is cemetery hill number ten on the tour map cemetery ridge extends southward to little round top number seven on the tour map the small hill partially cleared of trees at the left of big round top the copse of trees and the angle number eight on the tour map are on the crest of the cemetery ridge where the flagpole appears stop five warfield ridge the union general sickles at noon july second began moving his troops forward from cemetery ridge and little round top to devil's den ridge and the peach orchard longstreet's confederate corps was already marching from the chambersburg road to extend the line southward across the emmitsburg road at three thirty p m as sickles men were taking position at the peach orchard and the emmitsburg road a half mile north of here longstreet brought his army into position on this ridge a brisk artillery exchange opened longstreet directed his infantry attack first at little round top the partially cleared hill to your right and then along the whole union line northward to the peach orchard and the emmitsburg road four hours later as darkness gathered the union line had been shattered and forced to retreat the confederates gained possession of the west slope of big round top devil's den and the high ground in the vicinity of the peach orchard stop six devil's den when general sickles moved his corps forward to the peach orchard and the emmitsburg road at three p m his left flank was here at devil's den longstreet's confederate brigades soon came charging from the west striking the entire union line the base of little round top and this area quickly became a shambles after hours of desperate struggle the union line had been broken and the remnants forced to the rear the confederates were now in possession of the west slope of big round top devil's den the wheat field and the peach orchard sharpshooters using the large boulders as defense positions fired at union men on the crest of little round top seven hundred yards distance a typical sharpshooters barricade may still be seen at the top of devil's den stop seven little round top as sickles completed the forward movement from little round top and the area northward his new line extended from the peach orchard southeastward through the wheat field to devil's den see boulders below longstreet's attack on little round top developed from the ridge a mile westward his brigade successively struck the entire union line from devil's den to the emmitsburg road the confederates in a four-hour fight broke the entire union line and the remnants of sickles corps were forced to retreat to the rear of the round tops the confederates gained possession of the west slope of big round top devil's den the wheat field the open ground surrounded by woods and the peach orchard near the white buildings on the ridge the quick action of general warren see bronze figure to the north in bringing troops to little round top saved the hill for the union 
the stone breastwork on the slope of the hill were constructed during the night of july two as a defense measure against further attack big round top a quarter of a mile southward was heavily wooded at the time of the battle and could not be used to advantage by either artillery or infantry stop eight cemetery ridge the angle on the afternoon of july two general lee had tried to turn the left flank of the union line at little round top and the peach orchard and the right flank at culp's hill and spangler's spring meeting with only partial success in these attempts he then planned to strike the centre first he massed his artillery on seminary ridge and across the fields many batteries were hardly more than eight hundred yards west of here beginning at one o'clock they engaged in an artillery duel of nearly two hours with the powerful union batteries on this ridge then fifteen thousand men in a battle line a mile in length and spearheaded by pickett's division started from the confederate lines across the open fields with the copse of trees as their guide when they reached the emmitsburg road three hundred yards away the men charged canister from union artillery and concentrated infantry fire from the union men at the stone walls soon cut wide gaps in the confederate line they reached the wall and a small band of men crossed but the tide had turned in lee's final great effort he had lost nearly ten thousand of his men the remnants gave way and soon were in full retreat to the confederate lines the counter-attack which lee feared never developed the copse of trees is at your left surrounded by the iron fence the position of cushing's battery of united states artillery which held the position at the angle is marked by four guns the statue of general meade stands to the right and rear stop nine meade's headquarters general george g meade commanding the union army arrived on the field near midnight july one he used the lester house as his headquarters on the night of july two general meade called a council of his corps commanders in this house to determine whether they should hold the positions then established the commanders advised him to hold the existing lines meade agreeing with their advice and expecting the next attack on the centre of his line began the concentration of artillery and infantry strength in this area the lester house and barn were badly damaged by the artillery fire which preceded pickett's charge stop ten national cemetery soon after the battle governor curtin of pennsylvania commissioned attorney david wills of gettysburg to purchase this ground as a cemetery for the union dead while reburials from the temporary graves on the battlefield were in progress a committee arranged for a formal dedication on november nineteenth eighteen sixty three president lincoln delivered his famous gettysburg address on that occasion the national monument commemorating the union soldiers who fell at gettysburg was dedicated in eighteen sixty nine on the site where lincoln spoke a memorial to the address was erected in nineteen twelve near the west gate of the cemetery stop eleven cyclorama of pickett's charge the cyclorama of pickett's charge is regarded as a masterpiece of art it offers an unsurpassed picture of the wartime appearance of the field the manner of fighting and of equipment employed 
this magnificent painting measuring three hundred and seventy feet in circumference and thirty feet in height was acquired by the national park service in nineteen forty two the french artist paul philippito completed the painting in eighteen eighty four it was brought to gettysburg in nineteen thirteen when it was first mounted and exhibited in connection with the observance of the fiftieth anniversary of the battle of gettysburg stop twelve east cemetery hill early's confederates assaulted union positions here at dusk on july second in coordination with an attack on culp's hill to your right rhodes men failed to charge from the west at the same time early's troops took possession of the hill and many of the guns but in the absence of support from rhodes they were driven back the desperate hand-to-hand -hand fighting lasted long after dark culp's hill is one quarter mile eastward see the observation tower and spangler's spring a few hundred yards beyond oak ridge a landmark of the first day's battle appears northwest of the town stop thirteen culp's hill a confederate attack was directed against this hill on july second in conjunction with the assault on east cemetery hill because of the steep incline and the strength of the union positions here at the crest the confederate force shifted southward across rock creek for a flank attack most of the union troops had been ordered earlier to the defense of the wheat field and peach orchard the confederates meeting with little resistance took possession of the union earthworks on the south slope of the hill before a confederate attack developed against this position on the following morning the union force had returned after fighting throughout the forenoon of july three they forced the confederates out of the union defense works the union brigade commanded by general green retained this possession throughout the battle of july two and three stop fourteen spangler's spring failing to take possession of culp's hill on the evening of july two johnson's confederate force shifted southward across rock creek and attacked the union position on the hill north of this spring the defense works here had been vacated an hour earlier when most of the troops were called to help defend the union line in the wheat field and peach orchard the confederates then took possession of the union works the union forces having returned during the night opened fire at dawn on july three with artillery and infantry confederate troops who were posted in the union works and in rear of the stone wall on the hill to the north made a determined stand after hard fighting which ended only at noon the union force succeeded in driving the confederates out of these works and eastward beyond striking range the park in eighteen ninety five the battlefield was established by act of congress as gettysburg national military park in that year the gettysburg battlefield memorial association which had been founded april thirty eighteen sixty four for the purpose of commemorating the great deeds of valor endurance and noble self-sacrifice and to perpetuate the memory of the heroes and the signal events which render these battlefields illustrious transferred its holdings of six hundred acres of land seventeen miles of avenue and three hundred and twenty monuments and markers to the federal government 
under the jurisdiction of the war department until nineteen thirty three the park was transferred in that year to the department of the interior to be administered by the national park service today the park consists of two thousand five hundred and fifty four point eight two acres of land and twenty six miles of paved roads the fields over which the battles were fought cover about sixteen thousand acres and include the town of gettysburg a total of two thousand three hundred and ninety monuments tablets and markers have been erected over the years to indicate the positions where infantry artillery and cavalry units fought of the three hundred and fifty four union and two hundred and seventy two confederate cannon engaged or held in reserve during the battle two hundred and thirty three federal and a hundred and eighty two confederate are located on the field in the approximate position of the batteries during the battle anniversary reunions of the civil war veterans the great interest of veterans and the public alike in the gettysburg battlefield has been reflected over the years in three outstanding anniversary celebrations dominant in the observance of the twenty-fifth anniversary in eighteen eighty eight were the veterans themselves who returned to encamp on familiar ground it was on this occasion that a large number of regimental monuments erected by survivors of regiments or by states were dedicated again in nineteen thirteen on the fiftieth anniversary even though the ranks were gradually thinning the reunion brought thousands of veterans back to the battlefield perhaps the most impressive tribute to the surviving veterans occurred july one through four nineteen thirty eight on the occasion of the observance of the seventy-fifth anniversary of the battle and the last reunion of the men who wore the blue and the gray although ninety-four years was the average age of those attending one thousand eight hundred and forty-five veterans out of a total of about eight thousand then living returned for the encampment it was on this occasion that the eternal light peace memorial was dedicated end of part six end of gettysburg national military park pennsylvania by frederick tilburg